Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Ooh, is that pod on? Welcome to Volume 19 of Next Big Hit, Broadway Bullet. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we've got a great program lined up for you this week. We've got an interview and two songs from Daphne Rubin Vega of uh, Rent Fame and now currently also in Les Mis on Broadway, and she just released her solo CD. We've also got a song and an interview with the young cabaret performer Judy Butterfield. We'll be talking with Leah Michelle and John Gallagher Jr. of Spring Awakening as we continue our Going Geeky on Spring Awakening series. Again, find out how you can win one of ten pairs of tickets and a meet and greet with the cast and crew after the show. We're also going to be hearing a song from the Great American Trailer Park Musical, which is part of a sale at shikaboomrecords.com. We'll tell you more about that at the end of the show. Uh, my thing for this week is we are doing a listener survey so we can put together the best possible show. So please go to broadwaybullet.com, take 10 minutes, and fill out our survey. I guarantee you I'll be looking at the results, and it'll make this a better show for you. So go to broadwaybullet.com, fill out our listener survey, and tell us what you think. This podcast is brought to you in part by Buena Vista Home Entertainment's release of Step Up. Incredible dancing and awesome music fuel this exhilarating and inspiring movie. Step Up is available now on DVD. Well, let's jump right into the program with our first interview. When it comes to the stars of our Broadway stage, there are very few performers who have taken such an irreverent and independent path towards their success and still managed to indeed have the success that Daphne Rubin Vega has had. Even now, she's making gestures at me through the mic booth. How are I don't you know doing? what you're talking about, Michael. Well, you came onto the scene in what was already a very irreverent play. Yeah. Um, at the time, it was very irreverent. Now it seems like a, a part of the Broadway lexicon. Isn't that funny? And well, not only that, it was kind of noted at the beginning, wasn't it, for really not using traditional trained theater performers. <laughs> that too. I mean, yeah, of many, of many little different ele- elements. Yeah, that was, that was a big selling point, actually, of Rent, that we all came from nowhere, the streets, and we had absolutely no sense of discipline or training. Is that myth true? Were you all as little trained as the press would have us all believe? Well, no. I mean, I think we had different different kinds of training. I mean, Adina Menzel, she had been in, in bands forever, and, and she'd gone to school, as did Adam Pascal. I mean, a lot of kids went to school to pursue their dreams. Some of us had bands. I studied acting um, independently of going to school. <laughs> I, you know, I auditioned for everything. I studied with Bill Esper, who put a rocket in my butt and was like, you want to do this, do this my way and we fought but he taught me things about acting I always wanted to sing I think we had a spectrum of different kinds of education and levels of education relatively young yeah I think that it was very kind of sexy to say that we we came from the streets it was we didn't have really traditional musical theater backgrounds I think that's what 
gave it that kind of credibility. Recently, um, well, relatively recently, you then were even nominated for a Tony for a non-singing role. Yes. In Anna in the Tropics. Correct. So how did that how did that make you feel to also take on just the legit world that way? It was very validating for my ego and and spirit because um, I always wanted to to act and sing. I always just wanted to keep them separate. You know, it was very like pre Reese's peanut butter cup kind of thing. <laughs> I didn't realize that um, you know they could work and play well together without being what I thought was corny. I was one of many people who didn't... I, I came into the back-end, pardon the expression, of the musical theater world. Um, you know, I didn't want to be an Annie. I didn't... I wasn't crazy about stuff, although the sound of music changed my life. I thought, oh my God, this is fantastic. So I was conflicted. But I grew up with rock and roll, so that was sort of the easiest entry for me. You've, you've got a lot of stuff going on your plate right now, but you uh, took on another role shortly before that. Are you talking about motherhood? Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. It happens to the best of us and the worst of us, I guess. I always thought I wanted a family. I always wanted... Um, it feels like the most legit I've gone is to get married and have a baby and <laughs> sort of be part of the establishment, be able to be caught by the IRS if they want to catch me. I just wanted to have a baby. I mean, you know, I could get really down and dirty and say, well, you know, you get to a point in your life where it's like there will always be things that I will want to achieve. Um, I will never stop wanting to work as an actor or a singer. But having a family I suddenly became very important to my husband and I, and we were lucky enough to have this little Satan running around. I love him. <laughs> How old is he now? He's two. Did this have any impact into... I've heard a lot of rumors going around, and so maybe we can get you to actually set the matter to rest. Yeah, okay. Why was everybody else of the original cast in the Rent movie, and not you? Well, um, I think because, one, they weren't pregnant. Two, they were wanted by the director. It's very common to want to put a new bright star. I think Chris Columbus wanted the best of both worlds. He wanted a pop star or, a, you know, someone promising and recognizable like Rosario Dawson. And he wanted to have the, quote, legitimacy or street cred or cult cred that was the original cast of, of Broadway. So, And I had the greatest excuse in the world. I was big, fat, and pregnant. <laughs> I looked like a... a pregnant Q-tip because I had cut my hair off and I was blonde and it was short and, you know, it was just not time. Plus, I think, you know, a minor detail is that I'm I'm not 19. I think that the fact that the rest well, of the... Well, neither was Rosario Dawson. Yeah, well... Or the rest of the cast anymore. For that exactly. Matter. I think that was maybe the, <laughs> the biggest point of contention for me that it was like, how come you're inviting my buds and not me, man? You know, but uh, I have to confess... I haven't really seen the film. <laughs> so, but, you know, I've heard by accounts that her integrity in the film was fantastic. Because yeah, she wasn't, I know, she wasn't bad, but she wasn't you. And I think, again, the whole, a lot of the marketing... Well, do you want to know was, what I really think? 
I think that Chris Columbus was not the person I would have chosen to make the film because Rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. And I wouldn't have imagined him doing Rent the way I was in Rent, you know? So it made sense to me that he didn't want that, you know? So I, I think that... Uh, so it sounds like it was just like a whole bunch of elements that just didn't yeah. work. Yeah, and, and, and it was none of my business at the end of the day. You know what I mean? I, I love that character. I will always love her. I feel like that show and, and, and Mimi in particular is like something that I, I co-created, like a parent. But just like any life, you have to let it go. And that was 10 years ago for crying out loud. I would have loved to reprise that role. And there was a time when I thought, I don't care what you do and how old I am, I'll get you another fucking Oscar, motherfucker. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't meant to be. It's on, it's on to other things. But it hasn't hurt. You got tons of stuff on your plate right now. Uh, you got your solo CD just came out, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Okay. You're also now doing Fantine in the... <laughs> Revival of Les Mis. Yeah, who knew? How does it feel doing that role and also kind of facing... I mean, it's been cast with people who are traditionally like the uber-legit singers. Yeah, uber-legit, almost patrician. You know, very, very... Um, I'm me doing what I do, and I, I try to be truthful with it and um, employ all the little tricks that I've learned throughout the years about telling the truth in a context that is not really realistic. And the voice I have is my voice. So I think that the, the blessing and the curse about me as a performer is that some people get it and some people don't, you know? So that's that's the way it is. I'm not going to fuck around with what I do to please people that I don't even know or care about. You know, and the people that get it love it. Yeah. So. Like, so Marty's seen the show now like 101 times. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I'm not exaggerating at all. He keeps He's count. a purist. And, and, and exactly. And, there are and people he said you were like, the first one that he said that he really felt you were that frail and fragile and broken, you know, as the character should be. Yeah, well, to, to my advantage and maybe detriment, I, I never really uh, studied other Fontaines. I mean, I know how, how the great, you know, Randy Graff, I, I heard her sing it, and she blows my head off, you know what I mean? She's fantastic. I adore her voice, but I'm not Randy. I'm not Patty Lupone. So that's what I do, you know? You like it or you don't like it. The door swings both ways. On a totally non-artistically <laughs> related question, do you sit backstage the whole time during the show? For Hell the no. <laughs> Hell no. I put on beat. I turn into a boy. I give bullets to people. I run around, beg for money. Chicken out of the actual barricade fight because I, I actually do have to come back and as as a ghost, so um, I don't actually die twice. I thought initially that I would die twice in the show, and it was very exciting to me, but I actually chicken out of the big fight so that I can come back as a ghost. Isn't there another play you're doing this fall as well? Yeah, this fall, no, but this spring, 2007, we're doing Jack Goes Boating at the Public Theater. It's a production, a co-production with the Public Theater and the Labyrinth, Theater Company, of which I've been a member for 12 years, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, who just won that nice little 
statue um, called the Oscar. John Ortiz, who played my husband in Anna, Anna in the Tropics, and um, Beth Cole, who's a longtime member of the lab, written by lab member Bob Glaudini. So um, I'm thrilled to to actually do a show with the lab, having been a member and never actually done a lab show. So I'm leaving Les Mis um, a, a little early, just so those haters can go and quell over another diva. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your brand new album. It's called Redemption Songs, inspired by the Bob Marley song, which I cover. and. They're not all covers. I have a couple of covers, and most of the songs I've written um, and or co-written. And that was kind of what I was doing when the baby was kind of inside and just came out. So it's kind of like a a snapshot of, or rather an album of snapshots that that were that time in my life, you know, very transitional. We're going to listen to a couple tracks from that CD. Before we talk about the whole making of the album, why don't we let people take a, a listen to what, what it's about. This first one that we're going to play, I understand, is uh, already being a single at AAA Radio. Angel Now? Yes. All right. Angel Now, I had originally sung on another compilation album that was in memory of Ray Contreras. It was called In Memory Of, and we did another version of it that was very, very different, but... Um, there was a lot of loss. I lost both my brothers within a very small span of time and, you know, various family members. It's almost too macabre to mention. But my husband as well, you know, lost very close family members. Also, at the same time, I'm, I'm pregnant. So Angel Now was a song that I just wanted to include because it, it was very dear to me and appropriate to um, my world at the time. All right, well, let's take a listen. Memories 
by a philosophy that I've always held dear and actually just another show just recently managed to put it into a great quotation that I use all the time which is I'd rather be nine people's favorite things than a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. <laughs> I haven't heard that but I love that. Is that from High Fidelity? No, that's from Title of Show. Oh, okay. And Fantastic. I don't get out much. I just sort of fantastic. You inspire a lot of passion, probably both ways. And yes. I, you know. Yes, I do. <laughs> hey, whatever. But I think what's important here is your career is so successful because you have those that are passionately in love with the artistic choices and, and the the road that you take that is maybe a little less conventional. Than and I want to take this opportunity to thank those nine people. <laughs> okay? Thank you. <laughs> All of you, all of, all nine of you, thank you. I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> what went into the, the making of this album? Pain, Because Michael. what was your decision? What was your... Pain went into making this album, Michael. <laughs> Lots of pain. Why did you decide now was the time you needed to do another album? No real reason other than... Uh, my husband had some extra money, I want to say. It's not true. It's, um, you know, I I think consistent with with uh, just certain spontaneity and 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 luck to be able to make it I you know I'd been crying in the back of my head for a while just saying you know I want to do something new I've got a band we've been playing some new stuff some people want to hear it you know get up off your ass and do it you know I had a record deal with Mercury right around the time of rent and then Napster happened and corporate mergers happened and like hundreds of other people my CD got summarily dropped and I did the ballsy and stupid move of it wasn't stupid in retrospect but people were like oh don't go there of giving it to Napster and saying please you know steal this record and maybe getting a gauge of how how people liked it or not you know that's kind of what started the whole thing going and you know feeling like oh they want me they they want me to make them an album and then that you know naivete turns into a little bit of a callous which is like you know love you hate your friends <laughs> you know gotta write with our people do our thing you know cut your arm off i've learned how to compromise i think that it's part of life and and i think that making uh unless you know you're prince you you have to you collaborate you you this is a collaborative medium i mean there's ways to do it all yourself it's really difficult and um i think that collaboration is good i just 
suddenly went from basement band in the basement collaborating with friends to going into huge studios working with producers that you know cost six digits for a track and to write a hit you know let's you know we want to write about you but we really need to write a hit and that kind of pressure is like having the best thing that could ever happen to you and the worst thing because I really wasn't prepared you know and I wasn't prepared because I wasn't the kind of person at that time who was like yeah do me I'm here like I will sing whatever you want and if I had had a different kind of mindset I could have done that I could have gone and sung what the hell you want me to I just wasn't that kind of person at that time <laughs> I, I think the hardest area for an artist in the music industry you know looking at things is I, th I think it's good to be either as you said a complete mold me do me do me yeah. make me star or to be that complete I know exactly who I am as an artist and this is exactly what I'm gonna do take it or leave it but for the artists that are in the middle like me you know I, 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 I it's hard to a, define who you are when you're I, I, you know, I have a very hard time, and I think that it's not being in the middle, like, like not knowing who you are. It's having a hard time describing something that feels like. I don't think it's wrong to say not knowing who you are. That's it's just maybe a lack in the supreme conviction. You know, you know, you know, to be able to back it up with argument and to be able to say. No, this is the kind of artist I am because this and because this, and be willing to stand up the suits that are saying we're paying a guy sixty thousand dollars for this track. It's actually you're going to be paying the guy. We're yeah, just fronting the money. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's hard to be at one side or the other. To be completely willing to give up control and say, "Okay, I'm going to do what you want me to do," or whatever you say, I'm going to stand firm. Right. Maybe lose the contract. Right. You know. <laughs> I think that that I was trying to be the latter and stand firm or negotiate. I mean, I, you know, it's like, okay, let me do this song with my, my folks and then you can, you know, we'll work with Desmond Child and Terry Britton and all those people. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was like flushed down the toilet with so many other things that were, were my heart's desire. So I thought it was only appropriate to, to put it out there. I guess this whole nice little conversation is the reason why I made my album because it's my way. <laughs> and I, and I was say, it certainly does. Listening to the album, it certainly seems like you made the album you wanted to make. Yeah, for better or for worse, I learned how, you know, I learned and fell in love with um, the idea of producing. I will produce if, hey, anybody out there, if you like my CD and you, you want me to produce a song and you think you're good, um, find me. I lo I'd love to produce. I love producing. Um, it's a quandary. It's very fulfilling. And I think that if I had made this album for a record company, they'd be like, mm, it's hard to figure out who you are still because there's so much different kinds of stuff. People call it eclectic, which is a weird word, but... And what is your relationship like with Shikaboom? I know Kurt Deutsch for a long, long time. I was in the ensemble of Faust when he played Faust, uh, Randy Newman's Faust, like in, at La Jolla. And, well, I was there for La Jolla, and then they, they cut my character out. So. <laughs> um, but I, I, I've known Kurt and Sherry for, for many years, and I've known them when they started Chickaboom, and, and I was on Mercury, which was part of Polygram, which was 
bought by Universal and all that stuff. And then when all that imploded, he was like, you know, I'm here. And I was still, you know, with shrapnel in my ass, so I didn't want to go near any kind of music or recording for, for quite a while. But, um, you know, when it was time, I made the CD I wanted to, and then I was like, look, I don't know the business of uh, selling stuff. Just, you know, help me out. And that's how that relationship happened. Kurt is a, a great guy, a great businessman. And, you know, he loves actors and singers. I mean, he, he is one of us. He's just kind of decided to say, fuck that, I, I'd rather go into business. And he's good at it, so. Well, I wish you luck with all of your many endeavors this year. With thank you, the Michael. album, Les Mis, your upcoming show with the public. And I thank you so much for coming down and taking time out of your busy, your busy schedule to talk with our listeners and myself about everything going on. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Well, we're going to close out here with the opening track from your CD, which you wrote. Is there anything you want to tell us about this? Well, it started out as a, as a wish laundry list, a, a love song, but I think that it, it tries to pay homage to, you know, all the rock and roll that I loved and grew up with. And also the fact that the times they, they, they continue to uh, change, but you know, I still come from a place where, just by my my race and, and cultural background, um, I feel like a citizen of the world. Thanks so much. You're welcome. I want to be pretty. I want to be rich. I want to be strong. I want to rule the world. Speak 17 languages. Meet a lot of people. Sing and dance their songs. And walk along the avenues. That's what I want to do.
Just because we all forget that we belong to everything, but nothing, nothing belongs to us. We all forget. Listener drive. I repeat, a Broadway bullet listener drive. All right, just as theater is a community effort, so this needs to be. I'm not sure if you can tell, but this is a massive job. Most programs have teams of people producing an hour-long show each week, but here it's basically a one-man band scenario. It's just me calling all the PR companies to line up interviews, editing, recording, mixing, maintaining the website, and uh, promoting when I get a chance. It's fun, but exhausting, and I could really use your help. Any or all of the following ways that you can pitch in would be more than appreciated, and it's just me here. I guarantee I'll be listening to you. (laughs) They will help ensure the continuation and success of Broadway Bullet. First off, if you can do nothing else, take 10 minutes to fill out our listener survey at broadwaybullet.com. As much time as I spend booking the show, I really want to know what you like and want so that my time in this area is well spent. So I need every one of you to fill it out. Pretend you're my only listener. I need to know what you think. Don't think plenty of other people will fill out the survey because they won't. Because you are my only listener at broadwaybullet.com. Second, I'm not making anything off this yet, and it's a full-time job, and there are actually some promotional expenses that we should be doing and aren't. we are not a nonprofit, but if you enjoy the program and can contribute something, any amount would be appreciated. We have a PayPal donation button at broadwaybullet.com. Donate however much you feel like. Whether you feel it's a lot or little, it'll come into use. <laughs> if you don't feel like donating, we also have an awesome Broadway Bullet iPod case that I'll tell you more about at the end of the show. Donations aren't everything. I can't say a lot in the air. I think it breaks some laws to say we're looking for investors over the air. So I can't tell you that we're have some great marketing ideas. I can't tell you about the way I see this as being an influential or profitable show. I can't tell you how much we need or how much of the company an investor would get, which is too bad because I have a lot of this stuff worked out. And if there's anyone who could understand the potential value of this show, it's you. So if you are wondering about what it is I can't say and think you might be interested, email me at broadwaybullet at nextbighit.com and maybe we can work out a time where I can say all of this to you. The last thing is participation. You know, I'm sure a lot of you know somebody or know who we can interview or have an idea for a promotion or have a contact that can put the show on the air somewhere or whatever it is. If you think you can do something to help out or if you want to get involved some way, 
there's probably room for you to do whatever you want. I will say that we are officially looking for some interns as well, and I'm willing to help the people get the college credit they need for that. Uh, that's definitely available in New York. We have a lot of online duties as well, though, if your advisor is game wherever you happen to go to school. But participate. Get on the message boards. Email me and tell me your ideas or tell me what you think you could do to help because I guarantee you I would love it. It's greatly appreciated. I will read it. I will get back to you. And uh, we'll see what we can do. You can always contact me with ideas or let me know of your willingness to help at broadwaybullet at nextbighit.com. So I know this is long, but it is important. So I'll be repeating it in the last two episodes of the season. <laughs> We're going to be taking a break after January 4th, volume 21, and coming back for our new season on February 8th, where hopefully all of this input and all of the survey results will make this an even better show. And uh, you'll be able to say you're a part of it all. So again, thanks very much. Fill out our survey and participate or donate, whatever you can do. Greatly appreciated. I'm in the studio with a very young new cabaret phenomenon, Judy Butterfield. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Among other things, you're getting ready for your first performance at the Algonquin, I understand. Yes, I am, this Sunday. It's going really well. I've always really wanted to do a show at the Algonquin ever since I got started in cabaret way back in the eighth grade a couple years ago. I had heard about the Algonquin and have always loved New York, and so it's very exciting for me that I'm getting to do this. Now, where are you from? I'm from San Francisco. Participated in the Simply Sondheim salute last year that we've played a couple tracks from. Yes, I did. That was really fun. We'll play another one of your songs from that in just a minute, but let's talk a little bit more about what got somebody so young into cabaret singing. Well, ever since I was little, my parents always played Billie Holiday and Frank Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald and all the old standards, and so I fell in love with that kind of music. And then when I was in eighth grade, I went to a very progressive school, and in eighth grade you have to do a recital project where the only requirements are you work an entire year on something you're passionate about and somehow culminated at the end of the year and you have to have a mentor. And I knew I wanted to do something with singing and I didn't really know how to work in other people. I didn't want to do a musical or anything because that's too big of a deal and you have to get a whole bunch of other talent and that's a whole nother ball game. But then my dad had worked with Andrea Marcovici. I went to go see her show and I just knew right then that cabaret was something that I really wanted to do because there's something very intimate and you don't have to pretend to be someone else. You get to act, but it's really you talking to your audience and interacting with your audience and and being in sort of an old world, but because I'm young, I get to bring a new sort of freshness to that music. And so I put together a cabaret on Jerome Kern in my eighth grade year. And then afterwards, put together a show on Judy Garland and have been doing that. And that's really taken me a lot of exciting places. So so what do your friends think about this? People ask that a lot. And my friends are very, very supportive. And I, I sort of play it down. I don't really talk about it too much. And they've seen the show. And... And they sort of like it, and some of them get it, and some of them don't really get it, and some of them like this music, and some of them don't really like this music, but they're all very supportive, and we all like really different music and have very different interests. So 
it's all a very supportive atmosphere in my friend group. What brought you to the Algonquins' attention? Andrea obviously always has her run in the winter and is very much a staple of the Algonquin. It's sort of her place. And because I'm her protege, that's always been sort of a natural goal for me. And this really happened only a few months ago that they said, well, we have an off night on Sunday and you're here doing a benefit show. So you want to do a Sunday night show? And I said, sure. And then they're like, well, maybe you could do every Sunday night for a while. And I said, well, I do go to school and I do live in San Francisco, but that's a very nice offer. So that's sort of how I came to it. You're going to be celebrating a birthday very shortly, aren't you? Yes, December 30th. (laughs) (laughs) And how old will you be? 17. What are some of your future plans for the new year? One thing that I'm really excited about doing is starting a new show because I still love this Judy Garland show and it's taken me a lot of places, but I have a new show in the works and my goal is to sort of get that off and running next year, maybe do it at the plush room and, and see what happens. I'm really, I love putting together new shows and creating new shows. So that'll be really fun for me. And I hope to do that. When you were researching the show on Judy Garland, what, what do you think is your favorite piece of information that you discovered on her? Everyone associates Judy Garland with her later years and her sort of troubled life and, and her drug use and her alcohol abuse and all that heavy stuff. And so what was interesting for me was to look back and see the more joyous and lighthearted times in her youth when she was in the Gum Sisters with her. She had two sisters, Janie and Jimmy, and and they were at a, their parents owned a movie house in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, and they'd come out after the movies and do a little sister act. So really diving into that time of her life was where I found my most interesting stuff. Outside of San Francisco, do you perform anywhere else? I just performed in Denver, actually, which was really fun. There's this gorgeous room there called Lanny's Clock Tower Cabaret, and I had three sold-out nights, and that was really fun. And And I went to L.A. a couple times, first at the Cinegrill and then at the Gardenia, and I'm going to Portland, Oregon, actually, in January. So, yeah, I've, I've taken it different places, but New York's always been what I've been excited about, so... That's, it's great that I'm here and very excited. How does keeping up with your schoolwork and all these performances work out for you? Frankly, it's quite difficult, actually. I'm in all crazy hard classes at school, and so the epitome of the difficult school cabaret balancing act was uh, when I went to Denver, and on Thursday I was doing all my finals because I do trimesters. So I was doing all my all my finals on a Thursday, AP Chemistry and South Asia and like math and uh, all this stuff. And then I got on a plane and the next day did a show for a sold out crowd in Denver. So that was crazy, crazy, crazy. And it's always hard, but everyone has things, whether it's sports or something else, and you just find a way to balance it out. Cabaret and theater performers that you admire? As far as cabaret performers go, definitely Andrea Marcovici is at the top just because she has an amazing way. She's really, really brilliant at what she does and taking people into her world and taking them on 
a journey through her cabaret and making them laugh and making them cry and and all that stuff and and as far as singers and who I listen to I love all the old Ella Billy Louie and all all them and then I also like folk music Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan and I listen to tons and tons of different stuff for inspiration I love and I understand you have a CD of your Julie Garland Show. show as well? Yes, I do. It's a live recording of the first time I did the show at the Plush Room. And it's pretty good if I do say so myself. <laughs> right, and they can find that at your website? Yes. And that is? com. And upcoming performances there as well? Yep. So, well, wish you luck on your Algonquin performance. We're recording this as you're getting ready for the Algonquin, but by the time this goes on, you will have already performed there, so we wish you <laughs> well with that, that is for sure. <laughs> we can't play one of the Judy Garland songs on this show, but we can play another one of the songs from your performance with the Simply Sondheim, a 75th birthday salute. For listeners who um, are realizing we played... Uh, I'm in love with a boy that you sang on that CD just a few episodes back. And this time we're going to play... I Remember. Is there anything you want to set up with this song? Uh, it's one of my favorite Sondheim songs. It's It was from a TV series, and I watched the TV series, and it's kind of weird. It's about this girl who was kidnapped into a department store, and she lives in a department store, and she's never seen the sky since she was, I don't know, five or something. And it's really, really a beautiful song, and I really have always enjoyed singing it and was very, very happy to be able to perform it and have it recorded. So I hope you'll enjoy that. Thanks for coming down. Thank you. I remember sky. It was blue as Sharp as thumbtacks coming down like lint, and it made you squint when the wind would blow, and ice like vinyl on the street, cold as silver, white as sheet, rain like strings and changing things like. like broken umbrellas and parks and bridges ponds and zoos ruddy faces muddy shoes light and noise and bees and boys and days I remember days But his years go by 
Again, that was from Simply Sondheim, a 75th birthday salute out on Critchland Records. You can find out more at a-jproductionsonline.com. In the 25 years that Marty Cooper has worked in the heart of Broadway at the Colony, he's met and seen just about everything, and he likes just about everything, which is why we call his weekly segment On the Positive Side. Hey, once again, this is Marty Cooper on the Positive Side. I want to wish everybody a happy and a healthy holiday. I had a great weekend. Sunday brought back memories for me because way back in the uh, 50s and 60s, when you went to a movie, it was like going to the theater. You went dressed up. (laughs) Now you don't get dressed up to go to the opera. You got dressed up. uh, Your girl did her hair. You went to a movie like you were going to a theater. You got seated in a specific seat. There were 10 shows a week. There was an overture. There was an intermission. There was a second act overture. And this was a movie. It was exciting. It was exciting times. Well, uh, DreamWorks and Paramount decided for at least a 10-day period to promote Dreamgirls in the same way. I bought my seats about a month ago. Had great seats. We sat row P in the center. Had an usher show me to the seats. Got a beautiful glossy program and a lithograph. No coming attractions. No advertisements. The curtain just opened and there was Dreamgirls. And it was like you were sitting in a theater. And that alone was worth the exorbitant $25 they charged. Then the picture started. Then the picture started. And I saw one of the most magnetic personalities I've seen in a long time. Jennifer Hudson. Simon Carroll, here's a big finger to you. Because she is great. I can't forget that face when she was singing. And I am telling you, it wasn't only the voice, it was the acting. She is definitely an actress to be reckoned with, uh, in my book. I think uh, the Academy Award is a possibility. I was pleasantly surprised by Beyonce, who does have acting chops, and uh, she's just gorgeous to look at. You can turn the sound off and just watch her face and body. Eddie Murphy, fantastic, as a combination James Brown, Marvin Gaye. One thing I did find about the movie, the movie is a lot more Motown-oriented than the show was. All the Dreams album covers were Supreme's album covers. Somewhere towards the end of the movie, Eddie Murphy is singing with a orange, green, and a yellow and black yarmulke, much like Marvin Gaye, singing a meaningful message song. Curtis, played by Jamie Foxx, decides he doesn't want to release it, which uh, I seem to remember that Motown Records at the time didn't want to put out what's going on. They thought it was too much of a message and it wouldn't sell. In fact, I think Marvin Gaye put his own money into the project and got it released. And if it wasn't the biggest that he had, unfortunately, in the movie, it doesn't turn out as good as that. Well, you even had a young group that looked very much like and sounded very much like the Jacksons. The fashion poses that Beyonce did were much like the Diana Ross fashion poses of way back when, with the afros and the uh, pigtails, and it was really a memory of Motown. The show suggested it, but it didn't get into it as much as the movie does. I just was in awe of the whole film. I understand it got some mixed reviews. They didn't like some of the uh, material. But you got to remember that this was originally written for Broadway. 
It's going to sound at times like Broadway. It's going to be Broadway's version of Motown. I seem to remember two new songs. There are a few more, but two, two new songs stood out for me. One is called Listen, and the other is called Patience. They really fit well into the existing score. You really couldn't tell where the existing score that everyone knows left off and they started. And that added to the story. I think it was Listen, which is the Messig song that Eddie Murphy does. I'd like to see him go up for an Academy Award also, because he does that great James Brown impression that he used to do as a joke, and now it works in this film. As much as I was talking about how how the movie differs from the stage play. There is a lot of parallels. In fact, when J Jamie Foxx tells Effie that she is no longer the lead singer of the group and her famous cry, what about how I feel, which caused applause from the audience. The dialogue was the, exactly the same in a lot of instances. And a lot of the, I don't know if anyone remembers the Wretched the Tea from the show, where there was constant singing dialogue, and that's intact also. My closing is that Dreamgirls is not to be missed. If you love theater, if you love music, if you love fine acting, go see it. And until next week, this is Marty Cooper on The Positive Side. On the Positive Side is brought to you by The Colony, online at colonymusic.com or in the heart of Broadway at 49th and Broadway. You can always say, I found it at The Colony. I'll also chime in and remind listeners of what Marty said last week when he talked about Broadway Care's Equity Fights AIDS shop. There's still a couple days before Christmas, and if you're looking for that last-minute gift or looking for something to do with uh, some gift money you received, you can always go to broadwaycares.org for some outstanding gift ideas. Globes filled with shows, t-shirts, posters, signed memorabilia, a whole bunch of stuff. It's a great place for the theater buff and the profits go to a fantastic cause with Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. But let's get moving into our next interview. For part four of our series, Going Geeky on Spring Awakening, we have two of the leading actors here in the studio with us. Leah Michelle, who plays Wendla. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And John Gallagher Jr., who plays Moritz. How Hello. are you? Hello there. I'm well, thank you. <laughs> now, I'll just kind of set this interview up with a statement. I believe you guys both came to the show from very different backgrounds. From what I understand, Leah, you are very much a Broadway baby. And John, you kind of came in more from the straight plays, you know, straight plays, but rock and roll, plays, but also rock too. and roll, you know, playing in bands and folk music and and that type of background and movies and you know, you're a film and television. Film and I'm TV. kind of a Renaissance man. He's a Renaissance man. <laughs> Both of you have been involved with the show at least two years since mm -hmm. the concert that Michael and Kimberly were talking about in episode three, oh. and Leah. So you've been with the show, though, how long? Um, I've been a part of Spring Awakening for about six years now, doing uh, various workshops and readings um, spread out over the years and uh, did a finally did a concert series at Lincoln Center about two years ago, which is where John and I met, and then went on to do Spring Awakening at the Atlantic Theater and now here at the Eugene O'Neill. So uh, why do you think you got the part so early on? At the time, I, you know, I had just finished doing Ragtime, and I was auditioning for a bunch of, you know, workshops and readings, and uh, really, you know, I was so busy at the time, 
when I was younger. And I auditioned for Spring Awakening. It was completely different from anything I'd ever done. I came straight from Les Mis and then right into Ragtime. And here was this new piece where they asked me to sing like pop songs and stuff like that. And it just really interested me. And it immediately sparked, you know, an interest in me. I wanted to do something different. I wanted to sing, you know, this rock music and uh, be a part of something new. It wasn't really they saw something, and luckily they kept me for all these years. So I thank them so much for that opportunity because it's very rare in this business to get to stick with something for so long. And, John, what drew you into the show? I've always loved musical theater. I've always been a, a big, you know, kind of closeted musical theater nerd. When I was young, my, my mother showed me West Side Story, the film. And I, I love I, this I, story. I remember, watch, I remember watching it and um, kind of like I kept being like, oh, man, I wish this was the Terminator. But then whenever they would look away, I'd be like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> like freaking out. But, um, so I've always kind of, I really have always dreamed about being able to do musical theater, but I knew that it would have to be a specific kind of role for me because I'm not in- entirely flexible for all um, shapes and sizes of musicals. But I heard about this musical, I was about 20, it was two years ago, that um, Duncan Sheik had written. And, it, and I had heard about it because it had been in, you know, they'd been workshopping it for a while, but they were doing, they were get, gearing up to do this big concert, this Lincoln Center um, workshop with like two weeks of rehearsals and one, one night only performance. I decided to gather up my courage and go in and audition. I had wanted to meet Michael Mayer and it sounded like an exciting thing. And I heard some of the songs and I thought, wow, that's really interesting. And that could actually, maybe that could fit me, you know. So I went in and I... But saying, wait, no, but, no, no. First, you have to tell them how you got really scared at the audition oh, and left. I, mean, I left the audition. I and was then, so scared. I walked in and there, were, <laughs> there was like all these musical theater kids and they're, for lack of a better term, they're stage mothers. And uh, I well, just... my mom wasn't with Your me. mom wasn't there. I remember <laughs> seeing Leah and being like, she's got it figured out. But I, um, I was so scared because I, you know, I hadn't been taking voice lessons and I hadn't been in that world of musical theater. And I was, I was really, really intimidated. So I took off. And I left. <laughs> I left the audition, and I called my manager, and I was like, oh, it's, "I'm not. I'm not going. I'm going to get in there, and I'm going to embarrass myself, and they're not going to be into me, and it's just going to be a waste of time." And they were just like, "Go back up there and do it. You've prepared a song. It's not a big deal." So I went. Oh, you know, I kind of huffed and puffed, and I went back up there, and I sang a little bit of a of a Ben Folds song. They seemed interested, and they had me read a couple scenes, and they brought me. They kept bringing me back. I kept getting all these callbacks, and with each one, I was like, "Okay, you know this. You know, I just kind of was taking it." on stride. And then I got a call saying that I, you know, had been cast as one of the three leads in this this workshop and I couldn't believe it. And I've said this in other interviews and I'll say it again. I thought that that was just going to be like a one-shot deal for me, you know, but they they kept talking about it like when we do the production, when we do the production. And I was like, "Yes, yes, when you do the production, cool. I will come and see it." <laughs> you know. But when we did the production, we did it over the summer, and now we're doing the production again, and I keep being lucky enough to be invo- involved. You have to kind of prepare yourself for that, as I did every time I did a workshop, every time I did a reading. It would be like, this was fun, and, you, you know, you kind of have to you separate yourself from it afterwards because, like I said before, it is just so rare that they ask you back, I mean, and, and keep you, you know, time and time again. You could have hired again. an Olsen twin. <laughs> At any point. Exactly. I'm there's sure still that... The, there's still the movie, though. So. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Someday, Let's maybe. talk about that for a minute. <laughs> so I felt the same way as Jonathan, just like, this was great. You could just have to hope. Um, and luckily, here we are. So 
though. How many people lose out on another showing along the way just because of scheduling conflicts? No matter what, I would have made myself available. Um, but, you know, being that they were just workshops and stuff like that, um, we were really able to work our schedules around it. Uh, you know, last time when we did a workshop before the production at the Atlantic Theater, John was doing Rabbit Hole, and they worked out his schedule for the Spring Awakening around his Broadway schedule. So um, that's the great thing about doing workshops and readings is that, you know, they are kind of, they will be flexible around your tight theater schedule. And everybody, I mean, it's quite commonplace. People know this, but, you know, Leah had quite a decision on her hands because she was offered a lead role in the Les Mis revival, which would have conflicted with, you know, our production of Spring Awakening right now. And there was a time over the summer where you had to make that decision, and it's one should have such a problem, an actor should have such a problem to, to decide between such great but conflicting projects. So if you get to that point as an actor, it's like, it's kind of a hardship, but it's, it's like a sweet one to have to make those decisions. That's always kind of happening where there's things. When I was doing Rabbit Hole last year at Manhattan Theater Club, there was the possibility that we might move and keep going at another theater. We were getting really good reviews, and there was talk about you know, of, of, you know, Tony nominations and such. So there was a time where I was thinking, wow, I'm, you know, I've been offered this role in The Spring Awakening at the Atlantic. I might have to make this choice. And it was really scary. And then it just so happened that I closed Rabbit Hole on April 9th and we started rehearsals for the Atlantic run of Spring Awakening on April 10th. <laughs> so I went just right into it. And it's not, I mean, at the beginning of the year, I said, Wow, there's like these two theater projects that I would be so lucky to be involved in either of them. And the fact that I got to do both and now that one of them has gone on to this new life on Broadway is just, it, it really shouldn't work out that an actor should, should get so lucky. <laughs> you know, somehow it did. I don't think anybody in the production end or the cast would, would argue that this has been a tough sell, despite how great the oh. show is. What do you think makes it such a tough sell for a show like this on Broadway? Well, I, I feel like, for me, I've known that now for six years. That's why it took such a long time for this show to get where it is right now, because it was really hard for people to grasp a lot of these issues and really allow themselves to say, okay, well, are, are we going to really put this on the stage? Like, are we really going to do this? That's why it was so hard to get people to, you know, uh, investors and producers and stuff to join along, because these are uncomfortable issues. People don't really want to accept them. But you know, it was the minute that we did, like, Lincoln Center and then especially at the Atlantic where we saw it. You have to, like, see it, you know, all together and then it makes more sense. Do, do, do you know, do yeah, you agree yeah. with me? We're at a climate on Broadway where it's, you know, it's hard to take risks. A lot of people don't want to. And and rightfully so. Like, it takes a lot of money to put up a show. And not everybody wants to, to get involved with, with a gamble like that. And certainly when you first hear, so, okay, the, the, the play takes place in, in 19th century Germany, but then there's these rock songs written by this pop star. And when they start, we pull out these microphones and they start singing these rock songs. And it deals with, you know, homosexuality and abortion and teen suicide and depression and puberty and abuse, you know, just just right there, you think, 
wow, I mean, are the tourists really going to line up to see this show, uh, you know, around the holiday season? Is that, you know, it doesn't really make sense on paper. And that's why, you know, I think what, like Lincoln Center, and that's when around all these mm-hmm. workshops, people start really getting involved because they start seeing that it's certainly it's a daring piece, but it's really joyful and, and cathartic within all of that madness and sadness. But there's a lot of exuberance. And, you know, you can come and you can take something away from it. You can learn and you can get your eyes opened mm-hmm. or you can come and just go, man, that was a catchy song, mm-hmm. you know, or you can do both if you're open to, to all of it. Someone came up to me after the show the other day, a woman, and she was like, because um, a lot of times, you know, people come up to, after the show and they just like, you know, sort of spill their opinions about the show onto you. And you're just like, oh, OK, thank you. But this woman came up to me and she was like, I really like the show. I had a little problem with the second act, you know, with Moritz, you know, killing himself. That issue is just too real for me. And, you know, and I feel very uncomfortable seeing it on stage. And and I understood it. And, it, and you know, and it's hard to hear something like that. But I thought in my head, like, well, that's why we're doing it. That if this issue is real for you, then that's why we're doing it, because these issues are real and they're happening. And the one thing that I hope that people see and are learning right now is that, yes, it is risky to put a new piece on Broadway with crazy, intense issues and these interesting concepts to take this piece from 1890 and match it with these rock songs. But recently, if you look, there have been some more safer productions that have been put on Broadway, like movie musicals or taking songs from rock singers and matching it with a, with plays or whatever. And they haven't lasted. They haven't lasted weeks. And here we are with this awesome new show. And hopefully, God willing, we'll, we'll run. But we've definitely already gotten good reviews and great responses so far. So... There you go. You know, that just proves it that hopefully Broadway is ready for new stuff and that this isn't such a crazy idea because here we are and we're doing well. And these other shows, which are these safer, you know, you know, safer shows. And for people that, you know, that say that the issues are hard, you know, that it might be challenging. You know, I always kind of have come from the school of thought that in a lot of ways that it, sh- you know, theater should should be kind of challenging and it should make you think about some things that maybe you weren't prepared to think but about. But I do understand. But at the same time, yeah. I think there's room for all of it. You know, yeah. like I think that that there's room for, for right. I, I'd like to have it. Sometimes I go to the theater and I'm like, wow, I really just want to turn it all yeah, off. Yeah, I just want to chill. You know? Like, I, I love, don't get me wrong, I've, I've seen Hairspray three times. I, and, like, I love just relaxing and watching it and laughing. I think it's awesome. And I also think that anything that's going to get people to come and see shows is great. Fine, you want to put Shrek on Broadway? Go ahead. But if it's going to bring more people to see theater, then do it. But the point is, is that there's still room for us, too. I don't care how many musicals Disney wants to put on Broadway. Go ahead. You know, make fucking, excuse me, make Aladdin number three a musical. That's fine. There's still room for our show. There's still room for new pieces and new musicals. My mom's going to kill me. I just said you just curse. <laughs> oh, after, after what happens on stage, that's what she's going to have a we, right? we, are, we are from Spring Awakening. We curse and we party all night. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. We got a couple more geeky questions for our Ooh. contest to win the tickets. So geeky question yeah. number seven. Leah, hmm. what inspirational gift did Michael Mayer, the director, give you during rehearsals? When we were doing rehearsals one day, Michael Mayer, whom I love, comes up to me and he goes, I found this picture, I think you should look at it. And it shows me this picture, and it's this awesome sort of like gothic 
porno of this woman in, in this lace bridal gown. Um, it's in black and white, and she's lifting it up in the back and showing her butt and kind of like bending forward. Um, and he's like, now I don't really want you to think about this when you're doing your scene, but, you know, I don't know, I just thought it, and I think you should look at it. And, you know, I have a beating scene where I, you know, have to expose my backside. And uh, so I keep that in my room now, and I think about it. <laughs> not not too much, but... I've seen it. And John, yes. this, the answer yes. to this is only going to be available at BroadwayWorld.com. All right. During what song did you chip a tooth on opening night? On opening night at the Eugene O'Neill Theater. Um, here we go. R- here we go again. I, everyone's getting so tired. Do they just keep talking about this? Because I, I haven't gotten it. And fixed. you can't even see... You, can't, you can see it. The world can see it. The listeners of this podcast Gallagher, I swear to God. Um, <laughs> I chipped my tooth. I shall have her months her after who knows how many performances downtown at the Atlantic and who knows how many previews up here uptown on Broadway I thought here here we are on opening night after all these times of singing this song and I miscalculated the distance between my mouth and the handheld John, microphone you're such a rock star though I mean come it's on I wish I too. could be cool like you it's really easy we can teeth. all ch- we can all chip our teeth I certainly am glad you guys were able to take time to come down to the studios and talk to our listeners about the show. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. And, uh, you know, don't want to jinx anything, but when it you know comes Tony time, I definitely wish both of you the best of luck because I think you two are definitely worthy nominees. Thank so you, thank you very Kyle, much. Cross my fingers. Thanks. Remember, the Going Geeky on Spring Awakening contest is basically a trivia scavenger hunt. We have 10 questions that are available at broadwaybullet.com. The answers, there's two questions for each interview. The answer, one of them is in the podcast only, and the other is in a transcription of the interview that's only at broadwayworld.com. The first person to answer all ten questions when the last questions go up next week will win a pair of tickets to Spring Awakening. we got ten pairs total and a meet and greet with the cast and creatives afterwards. It's a fantastic prize. That's why you got to do a little bit of work to win it. Please, everybody, take note of the change. The series was originally going to be six interviews, but it's been shortened to five, so we'll be taking answers next week. There's a bit of problem in scheduling and conflicting interviews over the holiday season with the show, but we still gotten some great coverage, and I think you found out a lot about Spring Awakening. So get ready when the show goes up next week to submit your answers. I'll be telling you how to do it in the program. Shikaboom Records is one of the premier new independent labels with uh, soundtrack and cast recordings and solo CDs from Broadway performers. They're having a special sale through the holidays. I don't know what date it ends, but I'm thinking it's safe to go through the first when they announce it's through the holidays. They have a bunch of CDs on sale for $12.99, including shipping and handling. That includes Daphne Rubin Vega CD that you heard earlier, and it includes the CD that we're going to be playing a song from right now. But I'll tell you what, you can't get to this sale from the regular website. So you got to go to broadwaybullet.com, go to the show notes for volume 19, and we'll have a link to the Shikaboom sale in there. And they have a lot of great CDs. Drowsy Chaperone, Spelling Bee. Um, they have the Ultra Boys, which we've heard a little bit ago. There's a bunch of stuff there. And they've got the great American Trailer Park musical, which we're playing this song, A Storm's A-Brewin'. Thunderclouds are gathering over this quiet community, set to spark 
A chain reaction of domestic electricity Hell's gonna break loose, wait and see Well, heed my warning, hear my plea Tonight's forecast calls for infidelity Batten down the hatches, girl, storm Much too bad for Doppler radar to detect. Gusty winds are gonna blow soon as everybody knows. Hurricane Pippi has set her course. listener drive that we have a great iPod case for sale. And yes, it is a great case. I am really picky. It took me a long time to find a case. So many cases have so many things wrong with them. But this is a little flip over case, but it doesn't have that annoying 
Velcro strap or snap-on strap that you have to unclick every single time you want to look at your thing. It's held down by two magnets. It's brilliant. You know, when I first bought this, I couldn't find a single thing like it. I have seen a couple things similar come out recently, but none of them are as good quality as this is. The leather's great. It's nice and soft. The stitching is fantastic. It's really well built. There's a nice belt clip. You know, they really think of the user when doing this. You know, little simple things like the bottom of it leaves an opening for you to plug in your charger without having to take it out of the case, which is very nice. On the other hand, if you've got a lot of accessories for the iPod, like I do, I have a boombox to put my iPod in, so I gotta take it out of the case. It's easy to get it out of this case. It just pop it out. It's not a chore to get it in and out of this case like some others. So all in all, this meets all of my things. It really protects it. Um, they're in, we just got them in black, and we got them for the Nano and the iPod Video, though, both sizes. It's a uh, $29.95 plus 295 shipping and handling. And we will have the Broadway Bullet logo emblazoned on the front of the thing. So you can show it to everybody and let everybody know how much you love Broadway Bullet. It's a, kind of a cool product. We should have the photos up on our website by this weekend, if not sooner. Uh, we'll put them up in the top right-hand corner so you can see how cool of a thing it is. And it's a great price because, you know, they cost that much in the shops and you have to pay tax and uh, you get your personalized one that nobody else where you live probably will have. Broadway Bullet, great case, fantastic case to protect your iPod. Hey, you may have gotten one for Christmas and you need the case. This podcast is brought to you in part by Buena Vista Home Entertainment's release of Step Up. When Tyler Gage, a rough and streetwise hunk with raw talent, finds himself doing community service at a school for the performing arts, he also finds Nora, a beautiful and privileged classically trained dancer who's searching for a new partner. Spying Tyler's smooth moves, Nora decides to take a chance on him. But as they begin training, tension builds, tempers flare, and the differences in their backgrounds explode. It's on DVD now, rated PG-13. Well, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and I'll be back with you next week for more of Broadway Bullet and the conclusion of our Going Geeky on Spring Awakening series. Until then, thanks for catching a ride on the Broadway Bullet. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And, if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. 
I'd love to help you launch your career.